Hey, everybody, this is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman. How are you doing? On January 29th, uh, 2024, back for the uh, 164th or 5th, I can never remember which, uh, Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition Zoom call. Uh, we've got a full agenda, as as usual, starting with 25 people. We're going to talk at, uh, uh, up front uh, with a guy who's running for the Congress in the Sil- in Silicon Valley, in California, who was policy director for um, uh, Google, of all things. Um, here, make sure we get him. Uh, we um, had a magnificent discussion a few weeks ago with Nick Carderas, uh, brought to us by Camilla Reese. And I read his book, Digital Madness. Uh, it is really astounding, uh, the impacts that we don't think about that have come to us from the, the, the digital uh mega monsters and um uh Ahmed is a candidate for Congress in, in Silicon Valley. He was, as I said, um a program director for, for Google. So we're gonna start with that um um uh, after we take a look at our um uh our guidebook. I see uh Ahmed Mustafa, you're with us. Great, great to have you with us. Uh, we really um uh we want to talk to you about your candidacy and also about Google. Um, yes. and I, I was just mentioning, I don't know if you know Nick Carderas, um, but we had an incredibly amazing session with him. And we okay. want to discuss, um, as well as your candidacy, of course, we want to discuss your time with Google. You were policy director with Google. And um, I, I know uh, uh, Sergey and Paige uh, would be uh, otherwise, Larry Page, otherwise, wow. we got they are Ann Arbor boys, by the way. So. Uh, okay. A certain kinship with Google. Uh, we're then going to go in the second half hour. Uh, we're going to be with Tim Judson from the Nuclear Information Resource Service. He's going to talk about uh, there's really amazing developments at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission that everybody should understand, um, and uh, and also with small modular reactors, some major major changes. Uh, second hour, we're going to be with Wendy Lederman, who's going to fill us in on the latest insanity from Florida. And we're going to have uh, Mike Bowers, a great environmentalist with us. And then hopefully um, towards the end, um, we're going to just have a free uh, standing discussion about the elephant in the room, which is Gaza and this latest uh, United Nations um, uh, decision. Um, uh, So stick with us and um, you'll be able to uh, once again, speak your piece uh, on this issue. Um, I I do want to say hi to Joel Siegel and, I want to congratulate the uh, 49ers and the uh, the Chiefs. I'm, I'm a little tired of the Chiefs, frankly, but uh, nonetheless, uh, that'll be the Super Bowl this year. And as I mentioned in the prequel, uh, we will have uh, Bill Belichick on later to tell jokes and, and uh, give us his uh, f- famous smile. Uh, in the meantime, uh, let's go. Uh, Ahmed Mustafa, uh, you are a congressional candidate in the in Silicon Valley. Is that right? Correct. Yes. And um, you have been policy director for Google. I was policy lead. So I led on misinformation, election integrity, and uh, derogatory content. Well, that, those are all, uh, we're, we're kind of, we don't do derogatory content here, but we right. certainly do election protection. Right. And um, um, I will let you speak your piece, but uh, we, we had, as I mentioned uh, in the prequel, we had Nick Carderas on. We also had Dr. Epstein on uh, to talk about various issues having to do with the impact of the Internet. And Dr. Correct. Epstein um, was brought to us by Camilla Rice um, Reese, 
um, uh, pretty much implied that Google, um, how, how shall we say it, loaded the dice maybe, or um, uh, seemed to favor certain candidates. And that be, that's very, very, very controversial, uh, more controversial than many of uh, many of the other topics, at least mm-hmm. as controversial as the Middle East, amazingly enough. Uh, right. And so uh, Ahmed, I do want to um, uh, introduce you as a candidate. What's in, what is the district number you're running in? District 16, which includes Half Moon Bay, Palo Alto, Atherton, um, Saratoga, Los Gatos. It's a very unique district. It covers a lot of the Bay Area, but not necessarily in like one like kind of circular piece. It's a very long and kind of like cylinder looking okay. district. Yeah. So how does it feel to be running in a district where half your constituents are microdosing? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist <laughs> that. Well, let's let's talk about let's talk about Google now. Um, okay. We've never had anyone who actually worked for the in a high position in one of the major uh, digital giants. So, can you tell us exactly what you did and what the political ramifications were? Uh, oh, oh uh, by the way, I should mention Keith Ellison, the Attorney General of Minnesota, was scheduled for today. I'm sure you all know that. And uh, he had he at the last minute has to postpone. We will be rescheduling him, uh, but we're really thrilled to have Ahmed with us and then Tim Judson. So Ahmed, tell us what is the nature of what Google does uh, that reflects on our political and our our content lives here. Well, I think Google as a company, right? They don't want to take like specific external political stances. They want to have a like the number one important thing for Google. Uh, is to have a quality platform for its users, right? And so from Google's standpoint, I think that some of the biggest and most difficult questions is how do you ensure a fair uh, platform, uh, specifically within elections, which is naturally very contentious? Um, how do you ensure like that these policies that are launched from the company, specifically when it comes to like, I was working specifically with monetization policies, like when you have... Somebody at Google who is like a YouTube content creator or any kind of advertiser. How do you ensure that your policies are fair and strike the balance between what they're trying to promote uh, and the kind of lines that we as a society don't want to kind of breach into, right? And so those are some of the big questions there with regard to misinformation, um, with regard to election integrity and climate change. Google as a platform itself would not, and I don't speak on behalf of Google. Let me just make that very, very clear. How long ago, how long has it been since you worked at Google? I I left in December. Oh, so that's why I smiled. How long were you there? I was there for about four and a half years. Wow, amazing. Yes. That's really amazing. Yeah, it was. You left basically to run for Congress. I left to run for Congress, so there would be no conflict of interest because of the kind of work that I did specifically, which is, again, elections integrity, misinformation, derogatory content. All of these kind of factors, whether it's election integrity or not, they do have implications and they do have crossover. And so I think when it comes to these matters, like there should be a clean break. And and I wanted to really focus on my specific race and the values that I wanted to have without implicating the company because I am my own individual and I don't speak for Google. I don't represent them. Um, but I do have a lot of context and information for how can we, especially in this age of AI, uh, and I think that is the thing that's scary, right? We all have looked at the news 
And today I can actually make a voice in your likeness right now in your image in about a minute. Literally, all it's going to take is a minute. I can recreate your voice and start perpetuating things that say that this is you, this is who you are, and create like a fraudulent character in a matter of seconds. And if we don't have people in Congress who actually know how to handle and know how to do this without kind of gate, there's two kind of elements here, like when you're writing regulation for this. You don't want to gatekeep the technology to be within the top companies. You want to allow like some of the smaller businesses, the new startup companies to be able to thrive. So you don't want to create the type of regulation that will gatekeep. But at the same time, you want to have the guardrails in place such that anytime there is a sort of AI generated content that we can automatically tell that this is AI generated, that this is not a human voice, that this is an AI voice. And like there's solutions there's real solutions uh, that day one in Congress that I would be able to implement uh, in order to mitigate these risks because I've worked with these companies, because I understand how they work. Um, and I think kind of the danger is when you have tech illiteracy, and let me give you an example of the tech illiteracy. It's like if you ask a Google executive uh, uh, in Congress, or if you're questioning them, which has happened, uh, like why is like my iMessage not working this way? Uh <laughs> The Google is like, because it's an iPhone and we don't control that. And like, that's the level of tech illiteracy in Congress. And we shouldn't have that. We should have people that know how to protect us, uh, who know the harms and can, can, direct, can directly kind of answer these questions on how do we, how do we implement these guardrails and put them in place without stifling innovation? And I think that's key here. Well, what is it exactly? And, and we, we have, the, the most heated discussions we've had, uh, we, we, we started four years ago in April mm-hmm. of 2020. And right. we, and we are started with election protection. So mm-hmm. I am really curious to know, what does Google do that relates to election protection? Well, I can't say some of the like things internally what it does, but I think some of the things Google has been public about doing is A, creating absolute transparency when it comes to elections here in the United States. Like every single ad that is related to an election, every citation, every single citation of an election candidate uh, is in a transparency library for Google. And let me give you a crazy example of this. You know, let's say Kanye West runs for president. Every <laughs> video. I thought ad, he did. You know, like we, I'm not going to speak for Google of whether they classify him. Uh, Google doesn't, you know, anyways, in that regard, if Kanye West is a president, Google technically um, would have every single uh, mention of Kanye uh, in, uh, in an ad, in an ad specifically in their transparency library, right? And so that is the sophistication that Google kind of carries uh, and will uphold with regard to their transparency thing. Again, I don't, I don't speak for Google. This is based on my knowledge of what's in their external content, to be clear. Um, but that's, that's kind of like, uh, that's how the policies function, essentially. And, and um, uh, with regard to elections integrity, like, I think Google also has, like, a set of guidelines that don't necessarily only apply to elections, but they apply to everything, right? Because I think the danger about election ads in particular is they're naturally contentious. There is always going to be a winner and there's always going to be a loser. And when, when it comes to running an election, so the, the level of 
of derogatory content is heightened. The level of like graphic content you'll see online, that's heightened. The level of potential misinformation just because of the industry itself is heightened. And I think like with regard to this, that increases the standard for which like these tech companies have to pay attention to, to ensure that these other kind of policies, which aren't elections, but when they cross over into that category, that they are handled completely from the get go, that we do not like favor any certain party, whether it's a Republican party or the Democratic party or like specific local like unions or super PACs, et cetera, that everyone is is followed by and abides in the same standards and is treated equally. And that's that's always a challenge, right? That you treat everybody equal. And I think Google, I don't speak for Google, again, to be very clear, but tech companies, uh, that's the standard that they have to abide by. They cannot be in, in a world where there's any kind of bias. Um, okay. And so they're trying to eliminate that bias. Well, there has been a giant uh, um, a controversy or whether Google specifically, I'm sure you're aware of this, that Google was accused um, uh, of specifically favoring um, uh, Hillary Clinton and Democratic candidates. And that, mm-hmm. that, and that a study was done which <laughs> drew more response than any other thing we've had uh, on these calls. Wow. Uh, angrily denouncing the idea that Google could have put their thumb on the scale. Now, mm-hmm. uh, by the way, I want to introduce, we're joined by Hanya, um, uh, Jodat, who's a, a, a great a campaigner, really nice to see you, Anya, and your campaign manager, who has slipped off my screen somewhere, um, is also with us. So I want to introduce um, these folks. Where is your campaign? What is your campaign manager's name? My campaign manager is Adrastus. Oh, Adrastus. There you are. Right. Adrastus de Silva. Hi, good to see you both, Anya and Adrastus. And um, so tell us. Uh, Amin Mustafa, and, and and again, this really got people wildly um, mm-hmm. involved. Has Google put their thumb on the scale? And if they did so, how would they do it? You know, again, I don't speak for Google, but to my knowledge, no, that is not that is not what Google does. Like on purpose, that is not something that they would ever want to do. I think Google uh, specifically is committed to fair. Fair elections, but I think again, it's the nature of how things happen in the, in the election cycle, right? And so, any time, for example, I mean, you can imagine what would happen if, like, you had someone running for Congress, and all of a sudden, all their ad spend gets cut off because of a policy violation. Oh no, they're biased against me. They hate me. They want to lose, and like that sort of a story can build heat pretty fast in the press, especially like. I think you have to look at how like these companies naturally monitor their content. They are, I, I am not sitting here like, you know, in defense of big tech, I do want to have responsible policies to regulate big tech in a responsible manner. So I'm not defending any, but I think the notion that Google or Facebook or uh, some of these other big tech companies hold any bias. And, and I'll give you a really good example of why they, they don't. Uh, or why they wouldn't want to, like naturally, is 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 kind of like it's it's a little bit of a stretch. Um, uh, I'll tell you this, like because the 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 hit to the brand of a company like Google or Facebook is far worse than any kind of penalty that they could ever face. Because if you look at, I'll tell you, how many of you like like if you think about it, like Facebook is a company that has kind of 
had a huge hit to their brand. I think many of us would agree, right? To the point that they not only changed their brand name, but also if you ask people who use Facebook, um, do you are uh, sorry, if you ask people who quit using Facebook as a result of the hit to the brand, um, do you still use Instagram? Do you still use WhatsApp? Many of those same individuals will say yes, which means that they actually trust the product, but they do not trust the Facebook brand. So they trust it's the same company. WhatsApp is the same company as Instagram. It's the same company as Facebook. They work in the same buildings, but the hit to the brand was so deep that not only did these companies start to invest in people like me who are policy leads and junkies and attorneys and all that stuff. So they started to invest in so much headcount to kind of mitigate these brand risks. They also, Facebook itself changed their name to Meta. And that is so expensive. Like that whole thing is, you know, a slap, like, you know, I, I think the EU has like, put like penalties of $5 billion on Google, $5 billion on Facebook and Meta in the past. And a hundred percent, those, those $5 billion penalties hurt. But what hurts more than the billions, several billions, probably, I would assess probably more than 30 billion, maybe. And that's just a complete guesstimate dollars in terms of investing and changing their brand, the headcount it takes, the attorneys that they invested in, the new programs, the attorneys they laid off to hire new attorneys to focus on different specifics, right? All of that is a result of the major brand hit that these companies will take. And they do not, they do not, it's the worst thing that could happen to them is that they are accused of any kind of bias. They do not want to feel like they're putting the thumb on the scale. They're in rooms all day, thinking about how do we not, how do we A, mitigate bias, right? That's number one. Like you're fighting against like incidental bias in the company and you're fighting against um, perceived bias, number two. So like the whole goal is to, to eliminate A, the incidental bias that you might have, like incidentally, like if you have reviewers in other, and I'm not talking about Google again, but if you have reviewers in other countries or localities, They may, like when regulating like nudity content, like in France, um, if you're regulating nudity in France, they may be actually more biased incidentally against. um, Well, I I think I think in in France they're in favor of it. Let's. um, Well, I I will not comment. (laughs) Let's get get some hands. I mean, you're very articulate. It's really interesting to hear this. Uh, John Steiner and then Steve Caruso. John, John Steiner and then Eric Lazarus after after you and go ahead okay can hear you john uh, yeah i mean okay. great i mean great to have you on and thank you for being here my question thank you. is to change gears uh, are you running in the democratic primary and if so who's your opponent yeah i'm running uh it, so california is a very interesting system we got the jungle primary so uh, i don't have an incumbent my incumbent is anna eshu and she just retired okay. um, and so i'm running against 10 other candidates um and I think it's unique again, like in my specific race, there's other t- candidates with like tech experience, right? Like I ran my own tech company, but I'm the only candidate in my race with actual big tech experience. Um, and I think that's a big difference because I see how these fun- companies function on the inside. And I think I can understand like, how do we do this in a manner? How do we regulate in a manner that doesn't stifle the innovation that doesn't stifle the jobs that actually like increases um, 
uh, the competition from the startups because that is that is like brings us like competition. That's the best thing okay. for America. And how how is the primary going? And what kind of support are you getting? And what do you need from us? Um. Uh, well, your support would be incredible in terms of uh, <laughs> a, a, you know I'm, I I wasn't going to ask, but like donations help, of course, but also kind of spreading my message and spreading the word that we're really running a campaign on responsible innovation. Um, and we know how to actually solve the issues. So like you kind of talking about me, like what I'm about uh, and like encouraging us to kind of get more financing for our campaign to kind of spread this message that we need more tech literate people in Congress. I think and, that and helps. Need, well, is, is all of this information on your website? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, you have two great people with you, Hanya and Adrasto. So you're, you're, you're ahead of the game here. Um, uh, uh, John, is there more you wanted to ask? Nope. Good. Uh, just an old friend of ours, Harvey, who I think, you know, Jim Garrison oh, yeah. actually ran against Anna Eshoo when she first ran many years ago. And she's been, I know, very good. Is she going to choose? Is she going to come out for anybody in the primary? Do you know? Uh, she, she has come out. So there's 10 candidates. She has came out for, uh, her, uh, she has came out for a colleague of hers, uh, who's Joe Samidian. So okay. you you so have a, a little this bit is of your an first uphill battle for public office. Yeah. This, okay. Uh, yes. Um, let's get we uh, like I say this has been an incredibly hot topic for us. Thank you for that John. Um and I want to say thank again Camilla Reese who who brought um uh, Nick Carderas on. Are you familiar with Nick Carderas's work uh, Ahmed? Very briefly. Okay, well you should look at his book Digital Madness. Absolutely outrageous. And I hope you'll stay on when the call is over cuz I need some help with my iPhone. Uh, 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 <laughs> anyway, uh, Steve Caruso and then uh Eric and then Mike and then Lynn, Steve. Awfully uh, great to have you the last minute of course too. Um one of the recent things back to Google, sorry, but uh there's well actually two things. AB83 which is trying to limit foreign money influence via Citizens United. So they're saying anybody that's got foreign ownership beyond a certain percentage cannot donate to PACs. It has to be citizen-led. So mm-hmm. that is a great step forward if we get it's happening in California, AB 83. Um, the other thing is Google AdSense also is like a machine. Obviously, all this is AI. The computers are doing the work. You can't put your hands on everything and control everything. Back through the back door at Google AdSense, people are taking advantage of the sales, the money, the marketing. Uh, These are bad actors getting through and doing that work. And I think the human intervention part of it has to be expanded. It's just like anything else. You got robots. You got people that have to take care of them. And all we're seeing are people getting laid off left and right from these big companies, but their profits aren't decreasing that much. I mean, obviously, they've gone overboard with how much money they're making. So I don't know if you could address that up kind of all over the board here, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I think that's why we need. So we definitely need like, um, so I'll tell you some of the things that I want to push for, I think. And they address a lot of the things that you mentioned. So AdSense, you know, I the, a lot of the things here is about data collection, right? And what we need is uh, we need a global data treaty with like, you know how we have the Paris climate accords. We need something like that for tech that all the country, like 
of course, like not every country is a great faith actor in the Paris Climate Accords, right? But like, we need something that every company signs on to with, uh, sorry, every country signs on to with regard to specifically like AI and data. International Um, standards. Yeah. International standards. And we need the treaty and the United States of America, you know, the, 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 the leader in technology and the leader also when it comes to the internet and even just freedom of expression, we need to lead the charge on that. Um, and so like right now, the leader is the EU. And I think the United States of America, the place and the birthplace of the internet and technology should take the lead on this. Um, and we should create this global treaty uh, and be leaders again in the world. Um, well, that, 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 so that's, that's a big deal. That's a very big deal. And I was curious, you were talking about AI. Is it possible to force a labeling of AI? So that yeah, comes, yes, comes yes, it's possible. And that's like, so there, there's three things that we can do. Uh, we can create a national hash database to kind of have like a code at the end. And uh, the, the, the database, um, basically, if there's a match uh, on anything that you want, like any a video that you upload on Twitter, it would automatically detect the AI. The second thing is something called digital fingerprinting. Now, this is the case where like, you know how you can take a picture of a picture? You know, yeah, you take a picture or like a, a screen recording of an audio. Um, so in case th- there's nothing on the back end, like a hash, right? Um, what we can do is have something called digital fingerprinting, which it's invisible to the human ear and invisible to the human eye. But deep inside, for example, on the pixels, an, uh, a machine will automatically read super clearly. This was detected. Uh, this was AI generated. Or in the sound, when you hear it, it'll say this was AI generated. And the reason why we can't let, like, for example, just the big companies and have the guardrails to this is my, my roommate, my housemate in California right now, he, he has launched a Y Combinator-backed startup that does live dubbing of your voice, right? And, and, and I'll get to this, using AI. Why is this important? So he has a big startup company, like, bless him, I hope his company succeeds, that if I am saying, good morning, this is Ahmed, on your end, if you're a French speaker, you'll hear, bonjour, je m'appelle Ahmed, right? And the AI detection on your phone, digitally, hearing the noise instantly should be able to hear, like, in its own version, like, this is AI. And that has to be able to be detected to detect deepfake scams. And the third thing, of course, is encryption. And I think encryption is, but these like three are very easy solutions. And we have to be able to incentivize our startup companies to not only just like uh, participate in AI, because AI is a good thing. It can be used for good, but also beyond that, uh, beyond that participation in, in AI, we have to invest in these startup companies to actually like regulate and kind of come forward and not just be in stealth mode. Because I asked my housemate, I asked him straight up, I'm like, did you implement digital fingerprinting? No. Did you put data encryption on the back end to de- detect AI? No. Um, did you add hashes? There's no national hash database. So no. Why not? Because I don't have time to do that. I'm trying to win now, right? He's in a startup company. He's competing against Google and uh, these big companies. He has to win now. And so well, we right. have to incentivize those companies to kind of right. come forward and implement these things. And of course, in, in, you know, in the world of uh, a, a lack of any trust enforcement, 
Um, uh, he's not just competing against Google. He's hoping to be bought out by Google at a certain point. Right. That, that's how the, <laughs> that's funny. That's how yep. the game works, right? That's true. Listen, we're joined by Tim Judson from the Nuclear Information Research Service. I don't know, Ahmed, how much you're in, uh, in touch with the nuclear issue. Uh, Tim, Ahmed is uh, running for Congress in Silicon Valley, and we're deep in a tech discussion. I hope you can stick with us. I know you're very tech savvy as well. And then we're going to talk about the latest developments in the atomic energy industry, which are just really devastating. Um, uh, Eric Lazarus, go on in, and then Mike Kirsch, and Lynn Feinerman, please. Are you unmuted, Eric? There. Testing one, two, three. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Good. Okay, so I just wanted to report back. Um, I I had some email interchanges um, with Dr. Epstein, um, and you know he referenced you know 450 pages of testimony, and I'm like. I just need a journal article where you actually explain the method you would use to show that, you know, let's say, you know, um, Joe Biden's website shows up higher than um, his article about this um, in Breitbart. Well, that could be because mm-hmm. the New York Times references uh, the um, Joe Biden's website and doesn't reference Breitbart as much. It might. How would you right. know if it were biased? What would the, What is your methodology? I'm not saying you're not collecting the data. How are you analyzing the data? And I've emailed him repeatedly, um, both mm-hmm. at his email address and the one he says, if you want references to my articles, email here. I never get anything. So until he actually responds and explains the methodology, then I've got friends who are statisticians and you're, you yourself, Amid, um, may be you know, qualified to, to, to look at a scientific paper and say, do these statistics look good? But it's obviously worth billions of dollars to Google not to be perceived you know, not to get right. to Bud Light. Okay. To them. Um, right. And, well, the search is still the core of what they do. It's not, I don't right. make a lot of money on Google Docs, right? I think they make right. money. Right. Well, yeah. You'd think that they'd be killing themselves to try to not, um, even the perception of bias. So until he right. can produce some science, I think we should hesitate, especially since he's trying to put pressure on Google to not say election day is on Tuesday. Well, we don't want Google mm-hmm. to not say election day is on Tuesday. That's not. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's there's it, the the very nature. I think the interesting thing here is like the nature of politics. Like this is the this is this is the question that we must all ask, right? When it comes to politic regulation, like the EU actually has something where they want to take any kind of political issue and kind of give that political issue transparency. But you want to know something crazy about politics is everything can be politicized overnight. Like things you never thought could be politicized overnight. Like taking a vaccine can be politicized overnight. And I think that's the challenge is like going to vote (laughs) could be politicized overnight. And I think uh, like even in the question of like, we, you know, like I'm not talking about Google again, my tech, but I'll talk about my tech experience. Uh, But even the question of saying like, you know, is the ad got milk political? Well, in Alberta, I think at one point, I think it was Alberta in Canada, there was one time where uh, the uh, farm workers there had a strike and they were largely like cow owning farm workers. So like the question of got milk, is that political? In that case, for a little day, it was. Or like the, the question about vaccines. So I think it is tough uh, to say that like, hey, like, you know, in all the issues specifically, 
well, is there a bias? Well, like human beings naturally have biases, right? And like the data that's kind of coming into you is probably going to fit what you want to see. Um, but again, like I don't believe, like I firmly fundamentally do not believe that Google has specific biases when it comes to their ad monetization or their search even. Okay, that, that's, that's critical. Eric, very quickly, I want to see um, Camilla Reese, if you want to make can a Can I just quick, explain quick, quick what I'm talking about to Camilla? Very quickly, Eric. Okay, right. Um, I cannot have statisticians look at 450 pages um, of, of, uh, of congressional testimony and he wouldn't expect mm-hmm. that this is okay. okay, but right. Thank, thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. I thank think you, we Eric. All, Eric, Eric I think you. we all understand, and you're right. We, we, we can't, agree we, with you, Eric. We, he's not here. What I want to do with you, Ahmed, if you don't mind, and uh, Camilla Reese, if you want to jump in, um, we'll get a comment from you. Thank you for that, Eric. Um, uh, we need to have a big tech, another session on tech. This is really, really fascinating stuff. Tim Judson is with us from Nuclear. Uh, Tim, can you can you hang with us for a while? Do you have to run? Yeah, I think you, Tim. I know you're a techie. I, I think you'd find this interesting. And if you want to jump in on this, it'd be great. Tim is going to fill us in on the um, fiasco of small modular reactors, which is really taking up a lot of uh, attention now. And also, the Congress has just refused to approve a um, a member of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission who has has a track record where he dares to put public safety uh, ahead of corporate profits. I mean, who could imagine that? And when you're in Congress, Ahmed, uh, you'll need to look at this. This guy's name is Jeff Barron, um, uh, but it's a very big deal. So Tim Judson, thank you for sticking with us. And I'll call on you if you want to chime in on this. Tim is from the Nuclear Information Resource Service. Camilla Reese, if you want to jump in and make a comment on Eric's comments, that would be fine. Mike Hirsch, you want to go ahead, Mike? And then Lynn Feinerman. Ahmed, thank you for staying with us. We we appreciate it. Yeah, and, I appreciate um, you all. And any any friend of Hanya's is a friend of ours, so uh, uh, stick with it. Uh, go ahead, Mike. I just have a few real quick questions. Progressive Democrats of America does endorse candidates for Congress. We're very active with a lot of potential voters and activists in, in that district. But we have some very strict criteria, one of which is to support Medicare for all and agree to be a an enthusiastic co-sponsor of that legislation if elected, specifically the legislation that Pramila Jayapal has been uh, championing for the past uh, several Congresses. Um, could you commit to doing that? Absolutely. That's a central piece of my campaign. And I, I, I go beyond it because a lot of these issues, they're interrelated. So nobody... Nobody, and I have actually experienced this on a personal level. Um, uh, nobody should die or suffer a significant health crisis because they're in financial distress. Nobody should sleep on the streets because they're in a mental health crisis. And I think we had to do better as a country when it comes to that. Um, my parents are, are immigrants and they came here and I was born here in the United States and my, my, I'll never forget the day my grandfather came to visit me and he came on a, um, he came here on the flight, he tried to get travel insurance and he didn't qualify because he was 82 years old. And here's the thing. I found him on my bed presenting with stroke-like symptoms. I called my friends who are doctors and they said, take him to the hospital immediately. When we got to the hospital, he started to regain consciousness 
And the doctors told us that his heart was beating at 23 beats per minute. Jesus. Yeah. They said he needed a pacemaker as soon as possible. And my grandfather, like having fully like regained consciousness, I was like, well, how much is this going to cost? And they said $300,000. And he said at that point, I'm not going to put my children and grandchildren in debt just to live an extra two years. And I, you know, I'm an attorney and I know a lot of people who are doctors. So we were able to figure something out. Um, But the question that I asked myself is how many of those were afraid of the system? How many of those people who are undocumented ask the same question and walk out of that hospital? Yeah. The other question, of course, and thank you, Mike, for that. The other question. Oh, what's that? Mike, you want to follow up? Yeah. I do want to throw, and certainly have Tim Judson here, uh, what your position is on solar energy and sure. nuclear power, especially Diablo Canyon. But go ahead, Mike Hirsch, please. Uh, I'm the National Communications Director for PDA, and I just wanted to comment on your website. Overall, it's excellent, as would be expected from somebody like you who knows his way around technology. I would ask you to specify um, that you support Medicare for all as opposed to affordable care. And also um, regarding affordable housing, the question is affordable to whom and under which conditions. We're, uh, as progressive Democrats of America, we use terminology specifically Medicare for all and, mm-hmm. um, and housing as a human right. So if you, if you tighten that up a little bit, I think you'll, you'll get some more clarity. And again, this is just, language there's nothing bad in what you have on your website it just uh i think would benefit from a little bit more specificity and um, we'll we'll change that today thank you wow that's (laughs) well you need to be directly in touch with mike and um um uh, i I assume you're posting i don't look at the chat but i assume you're posting in the chat the link to your website um i will not cross-examine you right now about the apple canyon and and renewable energy uh, Hanya knows uh, my feelings on that, and um, if you need an education, <laughs> we'll give you one. But we will. I am okay. going to. Um, uh, you're great, and I'm going to uh, convene. We want to get Nick Carderas back. We want to get Dr. Epstein back. Uh, we know that Eric and others have had uh, a lot to say about this issue, which is really fascinating. Um, and again, I do need help with my uh, iPhone. If you can come over after the call, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, Lynn Feinerman, please. Lynn, we have. By the way, we have 56 people on the call, and we and Ahmed, we are live streamed. Uh, we are rebroadcast um, on a Progressive Radio Network, and th- this um, interview is posted um, permanently on our archives, so you can always uh, use the full video. Lynn Feynman, please. Lynn, by the way, is a very influential talk show host. It's great to have you on with me. Go ahead, Lynn. Thank you. That's kind, Harvey. Um, I'm going to ask you, Ahmed, uh, if Hello. you were a uh, representative already, would you uh, be a co-sponsor and or be signing on to Corey Bush's uh, ceasefire proposal? Uh, yes, I would. Um, I know that, uh, you know, I-, I would say this, like, I would, and my vision is that, you know, every child in Israel and in Palestine should have to wake up tomorrow morning and think about homework and the toys that they have and not necessarily about rockets and um, how to survive without any family members. And I think that the best thing 
in terms of security for the state of Israel is a sovereign uh, and, and a Palestine where people have problems to think about that are not necessarily related to life problems. Um, and so I, I, would, I, would, I would support that. Oh, very good. Thank you. Um, Camilla, I'm trying to unmute you. Camilla Reese, if you want to pipe in, we're glad to have you speak. Oh, there we go. I think I sure. got you unmuted. Yeah, uh, um, um, uh, go, uh, go ahead. Um, I, I just want to make sure that covers Lynn, Lynn's question and Camilla. Yeah. Uh, Lynn, are you good? Okay. Yeah. Camilla so, Reese, please. Camilla. Yeah, hi. Oh, no, I just wanted to say what I had put in the chat, which is that um, for anyone looking for Dr. Epstein's research, um, you don't have to go through those 450 pages, although it is submitted to Congress, although it's their studies are in there. But it was they're studied, they're um, published in peer-reviewed prestigious journals from the PNAS Proceedings of the National Academy of Science and the Plus One. They're, you know, difficult journals to get published in. And they are, you can look and look, you can find them on Medline or ResearchGate or other places. Just um, go look for them. Um, or they're in the 450 pages submitted to Congress. So do they explain the methodology that Dr. Epstein uses? Thank you. Uh, I, I'm not sure, um, Ahmed, if you're uh, familiar with Dr. Epstein's work, um, but um, uh, it was his, his um, presentation was quite impressive. That <laughs> was the, the fury okay. that came afterward. So um, uh, this is good. Camille, is there anything else you want to speak to? Nope, that's it. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, Ahmed Mustafa, um, you want to uh, give us? Uh, I will um, uh, work through uh, 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 Hanya and your and your staff and make sure that you're fully informed on the energy issues here um, uh, that are driving us in California. We are desperate to shut the nuclear reactors at uh, at the Abu Canyon, uh, where I spent three lovely nights in the county jail uh, in the 1980s. You're welcome to join me, by the way, if you want to go back there and stand at the uh, plant gates. Um, and we do have Tim Judson, um, who you'll need to be in touch with, um, um, uh, who is at the Nuclear Information Resource Service. Uh, Hanya will send you stuff on that as well. Uh, so, uh, Ahmed, uh, if no one else, we do have 56 people with us, and you are being live streamed. You want to give us a summary uh, a summary judgment here? Yeah, I, I would say um, my campaign is a campaign about human dignity and support for human beings to feel like they are human beings that nobody should sleep on the streets, like I said, because they're in a mental health crisis or in financial distress, that everyone has access to essential care, you know, that reproductive rights are essential care, um, with that people who grew up like I did, you know, who were my neighbors, my classmates, who happened to just have a status that's called undocumented, should be treated as people. And I think for me, um, that is the essential kind of piece of my campaign is we need to have human dignity centered in the halls of Congress such that people know that human lives matter um, regardless of who those lives are. Um, like I would support the dream act. I would reinstate DAPA. I would expand asylum laws, not just to people who are um, escaping persecution from a government, but to those escaping persecution from a gang or a cartel to those escaping persecution from climate change as our islands begin to sink across the world. And so my, my campaign is about human dignity 
and responsible innovation in tech. And I really, really appreciate your time. I'm also, I just wanted to note this, like I'm also a women's rights attorney. I represent survivors of sexual violence at Stanford University in a clinic called the Survivors Pro Bono, where I teach 10 students uh, how to handle uh, these very difficult types of cases. And so that's also a big issue that I want to stand on is reforming Title IX, so it is more survivor-friendly. But thank you all so much. And thank and you. And everything before, you go, helps. before you go, Amin, yeah. before you go, Camilla Reese, did you have something additional that you wanted to add? Camilla Reese is one of the... Yes. Um, yes, I was just curious. Um, one of the things that sort of trouble, troubles me a lot about technology is the, the privacy invasion and the profiling, mm-hmm. marketing, and what... So Shoshana Zuboff at Harvard is called, you know, the age of surveillance capitalism. And she talks about the need to fight for a human future. So you're talking about, you know, human future as well. But I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of the the data collection on us and the privacy invasions and what your position would be to to address that. Yeah, I, I absolutely believe that our public, when it comes to any tech company or any entity in general, needs to be fully informed on the data that is collected on them. And we should probably also expand it such that there are reasonable restrictions on timelines. Like you shouldn't, even if I consent and I'm okay with you having access to my data, that that period should expire after a certain period of time. And in some jurisdictions it does, but we need to have really like a global, like I said, a global treaty, not just a national standard, but a global treaty on tech. I'm interested also in the possibility of labeling on AI you know, AI has mm-hmm. really become such a big deal that right. uh, um, the the idea of forcing a labeling on it would would help, wouldn't it? Or is it impractical? We have to. Uh, it's. I, I think that's 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 essential. It, it's something that we have to do because we're not going. Not only the thing that people don't realize is not only is AI going to get um, much easier and easier and easier to generate, but it's also going to get like so accessible for everyone to be able to do. And so like having guardrails established to be able to have AI detection is going to be huge because it's going to get better and better and better and easier and easier and easier uh, to, to, to generate. How, how would that be really tough to enforce? We're going to have to talk about that more. Uh, that is a very big deal. Ahmed, you've been a great, um, mm-hmm. um, uh, Ron Leonard, very quickly. Ron, did you have something you wanted to say? Ron's a regular with us. Uh, about labeling AI or anything else for Ahmed? So the real, Harvey, I got a real simple solution. The label for AI is you hold up your hand, and if you have more than five fingers, you're an AI. It's the Trump picture. I don't know if it. we can reproduce this. Right. We, we couldn't invent it. <laughs> of course, Ron <laughs> knows about this. There's a, um, a big, Trump has put out, uh, you know who Trump is, right? Trump has put out a, a uh, throughout the internet a, a a thing of him sitting in the church uh, like this, praying. Right. <laughs> and his hand, both of his hands, has six fingers. Right. Have you seen that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, actually, any right now, like the things that AI makes mistakes on when it comes to generation, generative content. But again, it's, I think the scary thing is going to get better. But it's like your fingers, your teeth, you know, people will have like a million teeth or less teeth. Um, uh, like George they, Washington. Uh, yeah, like George Washington. <laughs> um, true. Um, and so, 
but this is just this is our first iteration right this is this is just the beginning and it's already so good so not only is it going to be more accessible like i think the scary thing is like we're hearing about the deep fakes about the voices right about people being presented as their son or their daughter and calling to for fraud scams we are already because i can do this right now and i i can literally bring it if you invite me on another meeting i can do it to one of you all is we're getting to a state where I can do this on FaceTime. I can get your image and likeness in a video and kind of create that content oh and, and do so relatively quickly. I mean, the quality isn't perfect, but the quality of the sound is, is more than perfect. It sounds more real. Like when I, when I was showing um, a friend of mine the other day, it, his voice sounded more like him than if I told him to script it. And I think that's the scary thing is like, it was attuned to how he would say it in real life versus me telling him to read it. And I think that is, that is what's really terrifying. Wow. Camilla, is that a, a legacy hand or did you want to add anything else? No, I want to, I have another question. Um, and, and I hear Tim, we'll you get, that. Jetson, we'll get to you in a, in a sec here. Go ahead. I Camilla. hear you that you think that people should be informed about what's being collected um, on them and there could be restricted timelines. But I'm just wondering if you think there's any way for people to either opt out of the uh, algorithms and the tracking, or um, one thing that I know has been proposed is that in order to create more competition in search, because Google controls about 90% of searches I read. um, So they're, you know, incredibly powerful in terms of the data generation about us. One suggestion has been that maybe Google ought to be you know, ought to license their database or their index to other companies mm-hmm. to create true competition. And I did hear that Google had already experimented with a couple of companies. One was in the Netherlands where they licensed their their database. And that, that company was all about privacy. I think it's now been bought by somebody else and I don't know the current status, but they were all about privacy. So they had a niche and other, and the mm-hmm. idea is that if, if their database was made somehow on a fair basis, open to others, that there would be all these niches that would be serve us better in, you know, all different areas of interest, including privacy, those who want privacy. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like in a lot of ways you can already opt out. And I think you're, you're, you are allowed um, to do so. And uh, you have rights against these companies to have them delete your information. Uh, but perhaps like what we should have is more clarity on this, right? Is like, you know, you, how, and more, more knowledge on how easy it should be. I, I can kind of like, if you invite me back, I can kind of give a better rundown of all of that. And like, how, like when it comes to data, you can kind of protect yourself and have that data be removed and such all right. as well. We, we will invite you back. <clears throat> uh, consider it done. We'll see if we can get you on with Nick and with uh, Dr. Epstein. Um, and um, you, of course, when you come back, you will get a full lecture on renewable energy and shutting down all the atomic plants, which is what we're going to go to next. So thank you very, very much for being with us. Thank you um, uh, for for coming and good luck with your campaign. And you thank can also, you very much. You can also, when you come back, explain that painting behind you. Uh, I'm, try- I'm still trying to figure it out, but uh, it looks very intriguing. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, uh, there's a long, I'll give you, there's a long story behind it. So I'll give you, I'll give you the rundown. When you you come back, you'll tell us. Thank you very much. Really great to have you. Thank you you all. Um, Take care. uh, We have 57 people with us. And we also have uh, the great Tim Judson, 
Uh, Judson, Tim is uh, uh, with the Nuclear Information Resource Service. This is a special uh, few moments here in the, in the history of nuclear power because um, <clears throat> the Congress has been presented with a, a nominee for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Tim, do you want to explain to us how this works and what the significance is of what they're doing to Josh Barron? Well, it's, it's it's actually done, Harvey. So I think we can talk about it in the past tense. Um, and I actually need to jump for another commitment at six o'clock so we can oh, do I'm this so rapid sorry. fire style. All right. Um, but yeah, so um, so the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is the is the federal agency that you know that is you know that was created to uh, to regulate the safety of nuclear power plants and radioactive waste in the U.S. And you know, there's so there's there's five commissioners on the commission. They're appointed by the president. There's supposed to be a balance of you know either you know two or two two, Dem- two, two Republicans and three Democrats or vice versa. Um, and uh, you know, one of the commissioners who's you know been there for the last the last ten years and really has been you know one of the most consistent voices for safety. Um, you know, as opposed to sort of, you know, the kind of the what the industry wants, you know, as far as rolling back regulations and standards, um, you know, has been, uh, you know, this uh, Commissioner Jeff Barron. Um, he his term expired last June. Um, the you know, Biden uh, put his name forward for reappointment at that time. Uh, but, you know, essentially the there's there's a there's a whole sort of onslaught of lobbying by the nuclear industry um, to roll back um, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission as a safety rig. And um, they really sort of used his re- Barron's reappointment as kind of a lightning vein um, for for pushing this narrative that uh, the, the, you know, the nuclear industry in the U.S. is just overregulated and that we would and that, you know, that essentially the, the NRC needs to be defanged in various ways. And so uh, they, you know, that essentially um, there was. Is the uh, the nuclear lobby succeeded in getting uh, four Democrats in the Senate, including Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, uh, to to say that they that they would block his um, that, that, that they would block Barron's appointment. And so last week that became apparent, and and uh, and now Barron's appointment has his nomination has been you know has has been uh, been drawn back. And so we may be in a situation now where you know the it's going to be hard for the democrats to even nominate a fifth commissioner to the you know before biden's term is up and so we've you know essentially got a nuclear regulatory commission that's sort of um that's sort of you know potentially stalemated um uh, between democrats and republicans unfortunately what the what what that means in reality is that you know is that the, the is that we don't have a single voice on the commission who's a consistent advocate um you know for nuclear safety um, and, you know, and then things are and things are sort of then the commission is, is likely to backslide on the on the essential issues of, um, you know, of, of public health and the environment and environmental justice. Unbelievable. And Tim, you've been at this almost as long as I am. I'm very, very sorry. I want to apologize for, for going on so long and not having I thought you had more time. So we will have you back uh, uh, to go into. Uh, we can do it next week, actually, because it's a critical juncture. I get into small reactors and there's um, no, there's, there's lots of stuff to talk about for sure. Yeah, really. And we're, we're right in the heart of a, of a, a major a sale job. Uh, I think that the industry is giving up on big reactors, but these small ones are a total myth and people have to understand what we're dealing with here. Um, but uh, the loss of Josh Barron, I mean, we've had so few voices uh, over the history of the nuclear regulatory commission. They even give the, the public even the slightest um, um, a respect. Uh, this is really devastating. 
Well, and this also isn't the first time that a commissioner has been drummed out of the NRC for, you know, for advocating for nuclear safety. You know, a decade ago, it was um, it was the chairman, Greg Yachko, who had the temerity to, uh, to to devote that they shouldn't issue a license for the uh, for the Vogel for the construction of the Vogel three and four reactors while the design hadn't been had while the design hadn't been completed yeah, right. yet. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to build this on the fly. And if we make a state mistake and have to tear out $10 billion worth of work, uh, we'll blame it on the environmentalists. Uh, it's, it's mind-boggling. Yasko could have saved the state of Georgia $40 billion, for God's That's sake. Right. Well, listen, Tim, you, you're terrific. We'll come come back to us next week. We'll get uh, Linda and, and Paul, and we'll do a real deep session on, on nuclear and, and the conversion of renewables, okay? Sounds great. Yeah, looking forward to it. You catch the rest of the show at grassrootsep.org.